Hello and welcome to the State of Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McGee, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Jay Reed. Jay, how are you doing this this uh, this fine day? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself, Greg? And doing pretty good, pretty good. Uh, we'll get right into it this week. Uh, we've been playing, Jay. Uh, I always like to go to you. What have you been playing? <laughs> Put me on the spot this time. It's all mm-hmm. good. Yeah, so I've been playing, you know, a little bit of the usual, the Forza Motorsports, the Rocket Leagues, the Minecraft. And I've been mixing in some other things. I've been playing the Prison Escape two-dimensional indie Xbox. I did Xbox game, the Escapists, a little bit Mortal Kombat yeah. XL, a little bit, a couple of different games, but for the most part still, you know, the, the usual suspects. Forza Motorsport, The Witcher 3... Grand Theft Auto Five, Minecraft, you know the games that I, I are t- typically in my rotation. How about for you? Well, hold on. Before we go to me, let's talk about the uh, you talking about the the Prison Break, the Escapist, right? That's a little uh, yes. They're they're little sprites, uh, if you will. The uh, how do you how do you say that? I guess like they're it's, it's all two dimensional. Exactly. Um, how is that? I mean, I, I know the idea of the game is you are basically in like a little block cell. Your deal is to get out and eventually get out of prison. Is that correct? That is correct. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great game, but it's one of those games I always give to people the caveat. It's very, very hard because what they did was, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's really a throwback to the 90s. So it's designed in a level kind of a way there's a multitude of different prisons and all the different prisons have different weaknesses so you know the first prison you start out which in and which is center perks is still relatively difficult to escape from but compared to the prisons you unlock as you continue to go through later on it's kind of you know easy if you want to call it that so you know it's overall it's a really good game it's a lot of fun and then i think it's one of those games for people who if you really love attention to detail and you love resource management i mean it's really i mean what drew drew me to it originally was just i really loved the concept of having to escape from prison and you know learning about the jail learning about the inmates you know it's a game that sort of plays a lot to the characteristics of my personality that I enjoy, which is definitely at top of which is attention to detail. You have to talk to inmates, you have to talk to guards, you have a job, you can be fired from your job, and there's 50, 60 different ways to escape from every prison. So you can cause a prison riot and then use the ensuing chaos to escape. You can, you know, put clay or silly putty over the cameras and just walk out if you get the keys there's 50 60 different ways you can escape from all the prisons but each prison varies in terms of its difficulty and they all have different weaknesses so you know it's a game that is just really 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 fascinating and originally that was what drew me to it you know i didn't had never played anything like it so i didn't necessarily know if it was going to be the kind of game you know that once i played it that i would gravitate to and if i would like it or not and then once i got into it it took me a little while actually the first day or two with it i was like i can kind of see where this is going but i don't know if this is for me and then as i started to kind of learn what i was supposed to do because the other thing with the game is they don't really give you a lot of help they don't really tell it's not the kind of game where they hold your hand and they give you tutorials and they tell you what to do they kind of just drop you into the game i mean i think there's like a tutorial present at the very beginning if i remember correctly but i mean other than that you, like a a jumps and the, b swings kind of deal this is it exactly you kind of have to it. like learn everything on its own and in a lot of ways it's that way because like i said everything varies from prison to prison so it's hard to even sort of prepare the player because everything changes now, So a lot of the things you end up learning on your own now let's say you know you you start out you're you know whatever prison you're on and you get caught and you have to start over 
Uh, does anything procedurally change? Do the guards walk different patterns? Are there different inmates to interact with? Or is it the same thing every time? You just have a different difficulty area or different different difficulty spike. Uh, how, yeah, how does that so play out? To those questions, it actually... I mean, some of those things, I mean, the prisoners themselves stay the same. But, I mean, before you start a game in any of the prisons, you can actually customize all the prisoners, like their appearance, their names. So I always, you know, pick custom Necessary. names and okay. appearances, exactly, to sort of add to the immersion. So that part, you know, the prisoners that are in there with you are the prisoners you'll have Shank for your, your buddy Mike on your way out, right? Like this. Exactly, and then and then, then same for the guards. I'm just flashing other... that Michael Jordan crying meme as your buddy, is shanking your buddy Mike on the way out, <laughs> like just real sad. <laughs> yeah, so it, th those parts of the game pretty much stay consistent, but what changes is patterns. So guards have patterns in which they patrol. There's a day and night cycle. You have uh, and again, I don't know how I forgot to mention this because it's so quintessential to the experience. There's a schedule in the game. So everyone wakes up at 8 or 9 a.m. There's breakfast. There's morning free Ooh. period. There's afternoon free okay. period. Evening so free period. Lunch. You've dinner. Got 12 hours so, to randomly freely roam. You've got to stay in order to what's going oh, on. Oh yeah, no, not at all. Exactly. That's it's awesome. like a real prison. You that is have awesome. responsibilities. Like I said, when you start at any of the prisons you start with a job and if you fail to meet your quota you get fired so it's like you know depending on how you it's, again like i mentioned it's a game that has a lot of variety so how you choose to play you can leverage whatever your job is to help you escape so i know in the first prison you start out working in a laundromat and you can use you know the guards clothes or the prisoners clothes or those things you know some way to leverage your escape and then you know besides that like i said you have meals and then there's politics so with all the guards and with all the prisoners you have like a relationship meter and based on how you treat them how you treat their friends is whether or not they like you or dislike you or they're indifferent so, and if they dislike you they'll attack you on site so this stuff happens over days this is not like a sit down play it for 30 minutes and you either pass or fail kind of deal this isn't like a super mario level this is a strategic over either whether it be real life days or in game days, like it is a real life strategic, uh, like you said, item management and things like that as well. Is that correct? Is that? Oh no, very much so. It's uh, it's. Mo I mean, their level of skill will ultimately determine how long you're in there. I mean, I think the fastest I've escaped from one of the jails in two or three days, it two or three in game days. But in terms of time. I'm, yeah, I mean, one set. I, I usually try to play when I play the escapists. One session, maybe one entire prison day, and then whenever you go to sleep at night, you know, when you're in your cell for mandatory sleep time, that automatically saves the game, and then you can choose to keep playing. Or that's usually when I quit. You know, we'll come back to it. So I usually try to do like a day per session, but it's like. Yeah, it's going to take you some time because, like I said, it's a really, really hard game because, like I said, similar to what Minecraft was on PC and what it still is on PC, it has a crafting element, and that crafting element is quintessential, but it doesn't really give you any of the information. So what they've done to kind of, you know, usher people along, give people some help, there's like a little payphone in the jail, but you have to have money that you earn because that's the other part of it, too, is you do jobs for other inmates, and if you do jobs, for, you do favors for them, you build up your relationship with them, and then you can buy you stuff from them, smokes. contraband, yeah. <laughs> like screwdrivers, wires, um, and, you know, myriad of things. Because that's the other mm. aspect. Again, there's, there's so many things with this game I didn't even mention that, you know, there's regular items, and then there's contraband. So when you have illegal contraband on you or in your room, on your bed, in your dresser, they do checks. They do two or three they do a, a room for morning check 
an evening check, they do random cell searches to check people's room for illegal contraband. If they great. if they arrest you and they beat the, the guards beat you up and they have you have it on you, they automatically confiscate it. If they check your room and you have illegal contraband in your room, they automatically confiscate it from you. If you fight with guards they put you in the hole for a certain amount of time like a certain amount of days so there's a, there's a lot of little aspects to it that are very much like real prison and it's like a, you have to, and that's, that's sort of what you know the skill of the game is is operating within the confines of the prison lifestyle because it's like when people hate when other inmates and this is what I learned the hard way during my first time playing it when other inmates hate you, it's a lot harder to make progress, as you would, you know, just like in a real prison. You need those relationships and that help right. to help be able to get you through. And the first time I played it, I didn't know what to do, so I fought everybody, not realizing that was going to make it I'm a lot harder. I'm trusting nobody here. Help. I'm in it on exactly. my own. Yeah. Um, so once I learned how to play, you know, in tougher prisons, I got out much faster because I learned how to work the system, work the guards, work the job, or, you know, whatever other things you have to your advantage to be able to get out so like i said i've caused a riot and just walked out the front door i've made copies because you can make copies you know there's different kinds of doors and every kind of door has a different color key that opens it so there's like a red key uh blue key green yellow etc you can use silly putty to make copies of all their keys because if you beat up a guard and just steal their keys they'll automatically put you in the hole but so what you do is you knock them out and then you make a copy of their key and then just put their original key back. <laughs> so it's like there's so many so different ways, like I said, to deal with the cameras, to deal with the guards. There's electric fences. You can dig. I've dug my way out under an electric fence and escaped. There's so many different ways you can play and so many different ways you can escape. It's, it's fast fascinating game and like i said just the biggest thing you know just to conclude it's a really a thinking game so you have to constantly think and be on your toes you have skills like you have intelligence and strength because that's another part of your schedule too is you have like a, a workout period and then during your free period you can read books or use the computer to sort of build your intelligence and to craft certain items you need a certain amount of strength or a certain amount of intelligence to be able to do them so that's always the first thing i do and that's one of the things i learned after my tumultuous first playthrough was build those things up as fast as possible so then you can you know immediately start working towards busting out of the jail but yeah i mean it's, it's an amazing game but i just it's certainly not the kind of game i would recommend to just anyone it's very like specific for like the kind of interest you know someone who would play it would have to have to really be able to get into because again like i said it took me a little bit of time to sort of come around to it and start to like learn it and enjoy it so it, it, it's not a game i would recommend to everyone but just overall i mean it's a really great game shout out to ltd idea at xbox i mean it's one of the better idea at xbox games i've invested in yeah i mean it sounds pretty awesome i mean it, it, it had me interested i know it was uh even when it was on pc uh when it first came out it, it was a uh you know not a huge deal but it was a big deal uh, it got a lot of praise, and uh, I know there's a lot of Twitch streams with it and stuff like that. I've never really sat down and watched too much of it. I've, w I've watched a little bit. I know I've watched game clips for sure off the Xbox dashboard with it. Uh, but I never, you know, uh, without talking to somebody that knows exactly what's going on, it never really sounded all that appealing. I was like, eh, I guess probably just something real simple, not real deep. But uh, it's quite sounds quite the opposite. Yeah, it is uh, indeed quite the opposite. It's one yeah. of the most complex games I've ever played. And again, I still... I've escaped from three or four of the five or six prisons now, and I still don't have it fully mastered. But I've just, you know, learned a couple of systems that more or less apply to all the prisons. 
prisons. Like I said, some things change. Some prisons are tougher than other ones. Some have like fences and metal detectors and things where it's like you have to change some of your strategy up. But I've learned the basic systems in order to have. Like I said, there's so many things that I'm like I'm thinking about it now. It's like there's so many little things I didn't even mention. You can dig a hole in your room. You can climb through vents. You can unscrew vents and escape that way you can escape from the roof i mean there's so many different they really covered there's 60 to 100 different ways to escape from every prison so don't <laughs> let the art style fool you into thinking something different like i did i just thought it was something very simplistic and you know dodge the flashlights kind of deal uh, oh no it's it's yeah. funny because I, I i would have thought that too but it's like you know just to even like sort of spin it more macro just in this age we're in now with like sort of this renaissance on 2d game design I think, you know, a lot of the 2D games are starting to do a lot more complex things. Because, of course, you know, the 3D games that are really complex. Exactly. Because they don't have the luxury of, you know, press right trigger to shoot as a, you know, a a gratification to sort of hook you in initially. So they have to, just like back in the day, sort of rely on their levels and their systems and their game design to be able to get you interested and keep you interested with something long term and that's not the case for every you know 2d game or id at xbox right. or indie game playstation you know ex- go- games for gold or you know playstation plus game you know they, they vary of course but right. i think you're, we're starting to see like a lot more of those complex games like the escape i'm sure there are plenty of those games both on playstation steam and xbox well it seems like something like the escapist is taking you know the basic uh, concept from from different games and combining them into one, much like a Call of Duty did, right? Uh, nothing exactly. was original there, but the way they combined it. Uh, sometimes the art style helps. Sometimes it's just uh, something that maybe has to be done because they don't have the money to make it look like a a, a realism game, uh, which opens up the ability to still have that that hardware available there, but not have to use that space for graphics. You can use that for unscrewing your vents and crawling out, as well as you know staging a, 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 a riot kind of deal. Um, no doubt. And I also and, think it helps probably in terms of just reception. I feel like if, I mean, I would love to certainly, I mean, I'm that kind of person. So I would love to play a game like the escapists in, for example, the grand theft auto in euphoria slash rage right. engines. But at the same time, I feel like that game would get so much more controversy and it would stand out so much less in a normal traditional engine and art style. And I feel like a lot of what enables, you know, the games like the Escape and Game, that was certainly when I, because I originally saw it, I guess, at E3 two years ago when they were showing their idea at Xbox lineup, you know, for the coming year. That was the first time I saw it. And I was like, oh, wow, what's this game, The Escapist? And it was a lot of it because of the art style. And I think that, you know, is, is the advantage of that 2D old school style is that it allows it to stand out even just visually. Because if you throw that into a more traditional style, then it looks a lot like a lot of other games. You're probably realistically doing a lot of shooting, which there's none of in the Escapist. You know, right. when once you put it in the 3D confines, people expect a lot more. Whereas because it's 2D, and there really isn't anything directly like it, because like you mentioned, it's taking a lot of little pieces of a bunch of different kinds of games. Then it sort of gets the freedom to sort of do what it wants because it's 2D. Whereas if it was a 3D game, we would want multiplayer we would want co-op we would want guns you know there are a lot more things people would want from it and it would be harder you know for them to be able to provide any if all let alone all of them in that you know respect i i don't know if i agree with that just because of that would have a modernized art style that people would automatically want uh the co-op multiplayer i think people can can safely consume 
uh, single player content and be happy with that. I mean, Wolfenstein was strictly single player. That did well financially for the studio. Uh, it looked fantastic. It looked, you know, when we look at AAA games, uh, there's plenty of, of, of indies that fit that boot as well. My, my point before we go into that, though, or before we went in, before I went into that, uh, was, was saying, you know, as far as the art style, things like that. In addition to that, though, it's kind of uh, what, we, what you and I have both talked about before. Uh, you know, at some point, we're going to hit a wall with realism where that's not going to be the appeal anymore. And people are going to innovate the gameplay. Uh, they're going to find a, a different approach to it, things like that. I think that's what we're going to see more this generation as well. Uh, especially bringing over indies uh, that are normally just, you know, excluded to the PC market over into uh, the console market like both the uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One have. They both focus really strongly on those. Uh, I, I think we're going to see that innovation maybe, I don't know I don't know if I'm going to say be put in the spotlight more, but at least more, be more common and hopefully see that take place in more AAA games and things like that as well as far as being uh, inspired to do more innovation in games and take that risk. Uh, as oh, no, I definitely agree with that. Smaller studios there. Um, yeah, what a conversation off of the escapists. All right. Um, so yeah, anything so you've been playing, playing Greg? That was, that, was, that was good for you. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much everything for me, man. What have you been playing? Yeah. Uh, I've been doing my Rocket League. Uh, played a little bit of Guacamelee today, and over the last week, I've been playing some of the Division. Uh, which, you know, I've only played about maybe eight hours of it so far. It's about every hour you get a level. Uh, so I don't know a whole lot about the game, but it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty nice. It's really reminiscent of Destiny. It's almost like just Destiny in a modern, modern setting. <laughs> uh, with, you know, like modern weapons, uh, enemies, things like that as well. Uh, the one thing I do like is to build your character. You have to, you know, accrue specialty points. If you want to build, you know, a... a a healing or support-based character, you have to go do support-based missions. If you want to go do something that's more aggressive, uh, you go do the more aggressive type missions. Uh, and the way you level up your character in those, just in those fields, there's other things you can level up on as far as your uh, your DPS, your damage per second, things like that, your, your defense stats, stuff like that. There's armor or equipment for that, if you will, knee pads, elbow pads, all that stuff. Uh, but to increase your perks and your your abilities uh, to specialize your character, you know there's people that are tanks. It's like an MMO. It's a, you know it's like people that are tanks or people that support. There are uh, all kinds of things in between, and uh, you you go to what is a central hub or a base, and you can build onto your medical wing by adding you know uh, like a critical wing to your medical wing. You can go to your tech wing and add different kind of computer support for whatever go to security wing and put guards out front and things like that and that will represent your perks and things that you get as well uh so it's kind of neat to visually see like something other than just your character stats your little base builds off of that that's kind of neat to see yeah um, other than that like it's it's addicting they do a good job again i'm only like eight hours in uh you know it could just be something like destiny where i get into like 20 30 hours and i just teeter off and lose interest uh, I see that happening. Uh, I was going online and doing some research. There was something called the Dark Zone in there, uh, which is uh, it's again it's 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 just a big open map of a city. There's no clear indicator except for like maybe areas might be red or something like that. Uh, just via the map, you don't like see red when you walk into that area. Uh, but there's a place called the Dark Zone, and apparently that's where the PvP happens. I haven't really got into any of that. It's all been you know 
doing missions and things like that, co-op with other people, up to four people per mission, uh, which is really fun. Uh, it works really well. I have no complaints there. Uh, but apparently there's a lot of complaints with, like, people, you know, you'll go on group missions, but you can't, like, party up with people, uh, apparently, in, in the dark zone. Uh, and even if you are partied up, they can actually turn on you. It, it's, it's all live ammo. You can't, you know, there's, uh, there's friendly fire. Uh, you can take out your, your buddy and take their, you know, at the end of the mission, take, take the booty for yourself and, and run. Uh, there are times when you're doing like a mission and you're just trying to get the extraction point done and, and, and like actual players will come in. There are missions in the, the dark zone. Players will come in and just take you out so you can't finish the mission, things like that as well, that are unrelated to any kind of AI that are already on there. Um, which to me, that sounds actually quite appealing, just to having, you know, it's a, it's a free-for-all. It's a Wild West kind of deal. Like That sounds appealing, uh, both from the positive aspects of, you know, teaming up with some great people and doing things as well as not knowing if you're going to get uh, hosed or if you're going to hose somebody over whenever you want the prize. No doubt. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to try that and do terrible when I first get in there, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I'm, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the game. It's, it's, it's been enjoyable. Um, every now and then the server, there'll be issues. They'll just kind of kick you out for a couple of minutes. Uh, and then you come back in. It, it kind of, it's, it's, it happens often enough where it's, uh, it's it's just kind of annoying. Um, other than that, I mean, it's it's a solid game. It's a third person shooter, uh, and I don't know that that's about it. Like you, the only time you really do matchmaking and that you have parties is when you do a mission. Uh, as you're just running around town, you don't run into random people or anything like that, like you would in Destiny. Uh, the only time that happens is if, is if you're in a safe house. Uh, so, uh, there, there are some critiques there, uh, when I say it's compared to destiny, just the gameplay, how they level you up and how they dole out the, uh, the drops for your weapons and equipment and things like that are very reminiscent of destiny. Uh, but overall a, a pretty solid game. I get why people enjoy it, but I also get some of the criticisms of it as well, uh, that have been heard over the internet, which I won't go over now. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, internet uh, and the community there online. Uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago that No Man's Sky devs uh, were getting some uh, pretty pretty horrible harassment just because they delayed their game. Uh, they did a little press release again, uh, just stating that uh, this is one of their passion projects. Uh, this is one of the games I'm very excited to see how it does when it comes out. Uh, you know, before all they've done is Joe Danger games, which are like a the the one I played was a a two D uh, like little platformer kind of deal. Um, so, I mean, this is a far cry from that. I'm just really excited to see when somebody has the ability to, to do what they want to do and they apparently have the financial backing to do so. Uh, looking forward to seeing that. you have any thoughts on No Man's Sky yourself, Jay? Are you are you excited about that as everybody else is? Um, yes, very much so. I mean, I will always, my one of my most cherished, because, of course, you know, it hasn't been around a long time, so there aren't a ton, but, you know, the Video Game Awards... One of the most cherished memories I will always have of it is when they brought out the developers from Hello Games, and they that was the first, that was the world premiere and the first time they ever showed No Man's Sky. And I will always remember that trailer and that sense of wonder and mystery. What is this game? This looks amazing. And then me going online to go study what is procedural generation in games and what does that actually mean. So yes, I'm extremely excited for that game, both just on a personal level. I mean. 
might be the game that might get me to get a PlayStation 4. I really, really want that game. I really, 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 really want to play it. And then on top of that, like you said, on the other side of it, besides just, you know, the personal interest, I'm also really curious to see how it does. And then just, you know, just to see another situation where a team got to make the game they've always wanted to make and had the financial backing to do so. So I'm really, really happy for the team. And I'm really independent of whether or not I actually buy in with it, you know, as of right now being a timed right. console exclusive on PlayStation, whether or not I buy in, I'm really, really happy for the team. I really, really hope the game does well. I mean, you know, we don't really see a lot of the things that they're touting for this game. Some of them have been in other games, but just the combination of all of them we've never really seen before in games, at least in console games, this notion of, you know, going to different worlds, a shared world. I mean, this is kind of a lot of the stuff that No Man's Sky is playing around with or things you're accustomed to in things like World of Warcraft, a shared world experience where you can be the first person to discover something. I mean, there's lots of little elements and then there's also a bunch of really, really unique things. So, you know, it has just like anything that's this risky and that's this original, it has the potential to be a huge, you know, landmark title for the industry or it could be a huge bust. And again, personally, again, you, I have no idea. You can just never know with these kind of things. No one could have predicted Minecraft or, you know, any of these games. So it's like I'm just trying to look at it through the most pure eyes I can look at it through and just, you know, let's just see what it is. Let's just let it come out and, you know, whatever it is, it is. So definitely very excited. Also very happy for the team and hope the game does well. Uh, now, since we're talking about hope and expectations, uh, Nintendo... Uh, how many consoles, I'm going to ask you two, two questions. I'm going to give you, I'm not going to give you multiple choice. You, you probably already have seen the notes. I'm going to ask you anyways, Jay, uh, how many consoles has, has Nintendo sold so far? Do you, do you have an idea for the Wii U? Just for the Wii U. As I understand it, about 10 or 11 million units, somewhere in that ballpark. Right. So apparently they came out and said, that they need to sell around 20 million units globally for the uh, Zelda. Uh, uh, oh, what, what is the name of the Zelda game? Uh, the 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 Breaking Wind. What is it? What, what is the, the the name of the new Zelda game? I think it's like Heart of the Forest. It's something something of the something uh, breath, nature based. Bre- breath of the Wild. Excuse me. Breath of the Wild. There we breath go. Breath of the Wild needs to sell. Uh, what? Uh, Two two million copies to make a, a profit or a success off of the uh, the the game. That is correct. Uh, now, do do you think that's going to be a a feasible feat for Nintendo to do at this point? If they're going to, I mean, they're, they're going to release it for the Wii U as well as on the uh, next console they're coming out with as well. Uh, do do you think that's going to be an issue for them to to turn a profit on that? They've I know they've expanded their team over to uh, another team as well to include on the project. Do you think that's an underestimated number to, to just sell 2 million copies, or do you think that's a feasible goal? Um, I th- think for Zelda, I think that's a really, I think that's almost a modest goal. I mean, there's two, there's two conversations here. So we'll look at Nintendo exclusives in general, and then we'll look at Zelda in a vacuum. Nintendo exclusives in general, historically, on all of their consoles, even the GameCube, historically have the highest attach rate of any of the three, you know, major right. studios, Microsoft, Sony, it's Nintendo. Like four, four their games have the highest attach rate. Anybody rates. else, yeah. Exactly, because, like, you know, the old saying is people buy Nintendo consoles for Nintendo games. Yeah. So that has been the case 
developed for a long time. People buy Nintendo consoles for Nintendo games. So their games, especially, you know, the Zeldas and the Marios, the Mario Karts, the Smash Brothers, those games do very, very, very well. Extremely well. Them. Better than anything else. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, a lot I mean, of people, I'm, everyone I'm, I know with a more, Nintendo console has them. I've got more <laughs> Nintendo games than I do, like, physical games stacked up uh, than I do... Um, for my Xbox or even my 3DS, uh, for that example as well. But yeah, historically, I've always had more Nintendo games than, than, any, than any other console I've had. Definitely. And then on the other side of it, Zelda specifically, as we talked about, I think when, when one of the episodes when we had a, one of our guests before, you know, when we were talking about Metroid, Metroid, unfortunately, has always been one of those franchises that's sort of been, Metroid and Star Fox have been sort of the red-headed stepchildren franchises for Nintendo that have underperformed and haven't done great, haven't, you know, garnered mass interest. But luckily for Nintendo, along with Mario, the other hugely selling franchise that sort of made Nintendo the brand that it is today, you know, with the cachet that they garner, has been Zelda. I mean, all the way back to the original Nintendo, you know, the Zelda franchise is their second biggest franchise in-house. And I think, you know, that franchise even though you know i think in today's world with more options there are more people playing on xboxes and playstations and on custom built pcs so who don't have access to that stuff so on that in that sense that's unfortunate but on the other side of it of the 10 11 million people who currently own a wii u i think it's a high probability that at least half those numbers are going to buy (laughs) the new zelda game when it comes out and i think just like with like Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty or any like any normal AAA release that comes out in an average year, there are going to be lots of people. Again, it's hard because of the the struggles of the Wii U. It's hard to, you know, hypothesize and put a more confident number on how many new units they're going to sell. But just like with Smash well, Brothers, here's... just like with any of the Mario games, they're definitely going to sell some new units for people who don't currently have Wii U, so they can play the new Zelda game, whether that's the NX or the Wii U. Here's here's my question then. Why is it that, um, you know, you have like the the Tomb Raider reboot that needs to sell you know, ten twenty million copies to make a profit versus this Zelda game that's been in production for how many years has expanded their team, uh, and you know what I mean? How how is it that that has a lower margin for profit than? say another triple a game i don't i don't understand how that's a, a it seems like a much lower bar than what other games need to be profitable for okay so yeah that that's actually a fairly common one i can i can cover for you so what happens a lot of the time is with publishers when they're because you know when games even in pre-production before there's even an actual game in existence to sell publishers are trying to grasp and understand what they're what a potential IP or game is going to sell. Again, like we alluded to in the previous episode when we were talking about E3, in a lot of cases, that kind of stuff is often a determining factor in how much of a budget you get for your game. That's how they determine that stuff, by how many units they think you'll sell. So we'll throw an example out there. We'll say, like, the Forza Motorsport series is pretty consistent. They sell two, three, four million units every, you know, every time they put out a Horizon or Forza Motorsport game. Right. And those sales are about 50% U.S., 50% outside of the U.S., you know, everywhere else in the world. Those games sell very consistently. So every year, it's easy, fairly easy for them to sort of be able to craft how much of a budget they have for production, for graphics, for design, for audio and soundtrack, marketing 
marketing and everything else because they have at least the same thing with like sports games. Most games that come out annually have very consistent sales most years, which is why, you know, when the Assassin's Creed games plummeted, then they, you know, didn't put a game out this year. That's why that happened. Because in most cases, you know, most games sell, annual games sell on a very consistent basis. So you know, have an idea how much to put into it so you're never in a situation where you're in the red where it comes out and underperforms so much that you don't make back your profit because again most cases with most big games you make back you know what you put into it's just a question of how much profit you're going to make and do make that's what you know shareholders and publicly traded companies when they're dealing with game ips care about is how much how much of a profit are we going to make and is it worth our investment? And then when you're talking about with something like, you know, you mentioned Tomb Raider and those kinds of games, a lot of the time it's a combination of what do you want to call lofty expectations because they're looking, because you know, you got to remember with Tomb Raider, it's been, that IP has sort of been passed around. I mean, now it's with Crystal Dynamics who's owned by Square Enix, but that, IP has been all over the place. I mean, I think if if I remember correctly, originally it was like Activision or Neversoft or one of the other companies who had who were making the original Tomb Raider games. So what happens with that is now that it's now owned by someone else, just like you know that new Far like like Far Cry and these other game, games that change hands. You know, not I mean not Far Cry, but um, you know the open world shooter that was set in Philadelphia that was originally made by Crytek. That came out a couple of months ago. I can't even remember. This just like completely just left my mind. Crisis? Oh no! Um, what's it? Homefront. The Homefront. Oh, the Revolution yeah, 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 yeah. was originally yeah. being made by Crytek, and they got shut down. And then I think Deep Silver, the publisher, bought that IP. Just I'm... like you know, there, Saints Row. There's a bunch of IPs like that, that were lost when when studios shut down that other studios buy. If I remember correctly, Tomb Raider was one of those. IP. So when the original reboot that came out in 2012 and Rise of the Tomb Raider both came out, Square Enix, who's the parent company in Japan, they're looking at the brand and they're saying historically those Tomb Raider games in the 90s were coming out every single year and were selling like hotcakes. They were selling like how Call of Duty and, you know, those annual kind of games Madden and FIFA sell now right. in the 90s. And it was unheard of back then for those kind of games. It was selling when six, you know, six, seven, eight million units was, was like unheard of. So they're looking at those historic games and that's their precedent for crafting their expectation for the new game. Well, these old games sold this well, so you should be able to hit those numbers. And on the other side of it, it's also because the market at the is industry. The same, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Look at the industry and just at a bottom line aspect, looking at, you know, how many millions of more people are playing video games on consoles than there right. were previously and saying, right. well, you have all these people to sell to, thus you should sell more units. But unfortunately, as you know, anyone who understands in any kind of a way, business or just life, it's tends to it when you, you can frame things in that way and it sounds like it makes sense. But in actuality, when you look at what happens, it's just not that simple because it's technically when you have more people to sell, to you should have sell more units but that doesn't take into account competition that doesn't take into account interest so you know those games were sort of like i mean i think eventually the original reboot in 2012 eventually once they re-released it for the xbox one and the playstation 4 and pc i think they eventually made back their profit but it took right. them a while because the expectation they had set originally was too lofty for what that game actually was and that game did really really well but and then the other part of it too that i didn't even mention is just production a lot of the time like you act like how can the nintendo 
game only need to sell 2 million units to be successful. With any of these things, and anyone in the industry will tell you, it's all about, you know, optimization and taking advantage of your in-house resources, not going over budget. Can it be that efficient? Like, it's just it's such a staggering number from what you see for other games of what they need to hit for, like, 10, 12 million, which is pretty common to see. Like, that's, I mean, that, that just seems like such a, a such a... A low number. I don't. I don't. I don't trust that number because it's so low. No, but I think Nintendo. I believe the number because I, I trust Nintendo in that sense. They know how many Wii U's are out there better than they know the exact number. Like we all have estimates. We all you know know it's somewhere in the ballpark of ten point five to eleven point five right. million units. But they have the exact numbers, and not only do they have the exact numbers, because of people's most people's consoles are connected to the internet they can see the exact numbers not only for people who have we use but how many are actually using them what's your retention rate i mean that's like what microsoft what xbox has figured out that that's the most important thing is how many people are your active daily users they this thing is they're turning it on and it's a daily part of their life those are your most important users so every one of the companies whether whether it's Steam for PC, PlayStation, you know, and Sony, Nintendo, and the Wii U, they know for the most part what their retention is for their console, and that's in this case with Nintendo with Zelda, what they know, and they're crafting their game around. They know, okay, we have this many people who are playing on our consoles, and likely we're going to sell, you know, a de- and they know they know they're going to sell more than two million units, but at the same time, you can't. With with the situation they're in, because of the like the massive failure of the Wii U, you can't afford to massively go over budget or create something that needs to hit a lofty number. So from the beginning, because the Wii U's been struggling for years, they've wisely made sure with all of their games, with Super Smash Brothers, with Mario Kart, that those games are budgeted. You know, that you never hear stories about Nintendo games going over budget. You never really hear too many stories. I mean, no. Zelda's had a couple of delays, but for the most part, most of their games there aren't usually you don't hear about a ton of delays or layoffs so they keep that those kinds of things enable you to be able to keep costs well, down they, in production they also don't update every 24 hours a lot like other publishers do with exactly. you know we hey we've added boots to this you know this one here uh, they stay rather tight-lipped about what's going on with their production and, and things like that they wait for those controlled environments uh where they can do their uh whatever uh their little e e shop events are uh are exactly. called. I'm, i mean i have a nintendo on 3ds i have no idea what they're called right now so um but i mean yeah i, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there but yeah i mean that 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 almost is uh you know I, I think the reason you don't you don't have some of that is because they don't uh, they're not very vocal about what what they're doing every wednesday oh no definitely I mean, all those things take, take, you know, impact with most games, perception, and perception drives production and definitely expectation. So let's, well, you know, uh, I, I, I talk I, about Grand Theft Auto every week. We'll use Grand Theft Auto as an example. That game and that franchise is constantly talked about. So even though, of course, it massively, now it's at 60, 70 million units shipped and sold, it's massively exceeded their own expectations. But the expectations they had originally were still really, really high by normal game standards because they look at what the games in the series have sold and they also look at the buzz and, you know, people talking about it and it being a part of the zeitgeist. Those kinds of things impact games. And it's like when those things, when you keep the you know the dirty little secrets and the things about your company so it's like you know we talked about with rockstar how it was leaked or rumored or whatever that they had finally started production on grand theft auto 6 right you don't ever really hear that 
about Nintendo games. So those kinds of things, just like anything else, I mean, it's almost like the stock market. It goes up <laughs> and down. Those kind of things you, impact you say what that. people think games should be selling. You say that. And and there, the... <laughs> there was that. There was that big Pokemon Sun and Moon League just just today. Those seven Pokemon. I'm sorry. I just. Uh, you are correct in that, but I'm just saying I just found it funny that today is the one day that oh, yeah, there is a yeah. leak <laughs> from a Nintendo game. Oh, no, even for Nintendo, it definitely yeah. means just like we saw with the NX. I mean, of course, a lot of the leaks with the NX ended up being felonious and false, right. but just in general. No, that, that's the part that is like sort of slowly being adjusted because in today's world, as we're all learning with smartphones, with everyone wanting to publish a book, a tell-all book, and with all these different factors, it's impossible possible to keep anything a secret in today's world but when nintendo has like rockstar with you know grand theft auto has done a really good job of is they keep 95 98 percent of their information and their dirty little laundry in house and it's like that's all you really need to do and then if you couple that with doing a really good job of staying on budget staying on schedule optimizing then you can two million units can be enough because, again, they, like I said, Nintendo's a wise enough company to know they're going to sell more than 2 million units of Zelda. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't at least a million new Wii U sold right. just because of Zelda. I mean, it's that kind of game and franchise right. where millions of people will go buy a Wii U and or an NX to play it. So, you know, they know, but it's like they're, they're wise to set that number as something that is attainable and that, you know, that they're going to make a profit from. Because, you know, reality for Nintendo is they don't don't necessarily need to make a ton of money up front on their games i mean the life be like you mentioned because of the e-shop because they don't really put their games on sale ever anywhere i mean even like go try buying a copy of pokemon blue right now you're probably going to pay if you're buying it new from somewhere you're probably going to pay 20 25 bucks Thir- or a copy no, of Super mario brothers Thir- Thir- yoshi's island new. 3 yeah th- th- I mean, they, they, yeah. they, they re-release it it's 30 bucks for the black and white version it's not even a remaster it's just yeah. a black and white version. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's the power of Nintendo for yeah. all of their IP. Every, that's, every why they, game. that's why 2 million units is all they need to hit. Because you they to, know. You go to GameStop to go buy a used Nintendo game, it is like $2 off. Like you don't, there's no drop in their, their value of their game. Oh, no, their games hold their value. Yeah. And, no, and that, those things also are a big contributing factor in why they only need and, 2 million units. Because and, they know and it's as not someone who be consumes, resold. As someone who consumes Nintendo products regularly, I have the Wii U and I have the 3DS, I... I I don't mind when I go buy something that has Nintendo's name on it. I I know I'm getting my thirty or my sixty dollars worth of you know of of money spent. Like it's there are hours and hours. There's so much content in it. It's quality content. It's never uh, it's never broken or anything like that. If they if it is, they update it without me even uh, you know knowing that it even existed. Usually, so um, you know there's a reason for that i'm just trying to back that up there with what you're saying oh, yeah, no doubt. i'm just oh no for sure as my experience and i think customer you know yeah and i think you know all those things like it's like i mentioned you know all those things it just you know is great management of your ip and you know that has served nintendo so well forever and it's like they make more money on the back end of their games than anybody by far because like you said you know the value of their game stays the same 20 30 40 years later 40 years from now someone's going to try to buy a copy of Yoshi's Island for the N64 and they're going to be paying 30 bucks or 35 bucks even for a used copy like why this is 20 years old why oh oh, no I still hear people no Kotaku put up an article a couple weeks ago about that and I seen I was always read the comments on everything I was reading the comments and there were a lot of angry people in the comments like why am I still paying X amount for a Game Boy Advance game or a game boy color game it's like because it's nintendo and they make sure they keep the value of their brands up yeah. they have to because they get we've talked about all the time they don't have any third party support right now so they can't afford for the value of their own games to suddenly diminish even a little bit let alone you know 
fall, you know, back to the median where the rest of the industry is, where it's used and it's on Amazon for 20 bucks. They can't afford to have that happen because that's all they have at the moment. And that is keeping them afloat, those software sales. And again, like I said, that's how they can afford to only need to sell. Sell two million, two million copies of Zelda. I mean, that is well, maybe, you know rich for anybody's blood. Two, um, only two million units. If, if we're talking about Nintendo, we can't ignore the fact that you know they are not big fans of Let's Plays on YouTube. Yeah, uh, you know that that may have a lot to do with. I, I never took that into consideration. That may just have a lot to do with how they want to, um, I guess isolate not not isolate in, in a way like their company, but isolate the experience in which you get to see and experience a Nintendo product game. Oh, um, you know what Definitely. I mean? Like I, I don't want you to see somebody else play that game and still have the same experience, even though you don't have the control, you didn't pay the sixty dollars. I want you to pay the sixty dollars so you can experience what he's trying to show you on YouTube or whatever other platform Twitch uh, you may have. I know that they're, they're not, uh, you know. Uh, adamant for everything that's on there but a lot of their content just from what i hear i don't do the research myself uh has been flagged and taken off they're not a big fan of let's plays and youtube oh, no, you have now you it's a situation where you have to partner with nintendo oh, is that right in order to even be able to put their content up on twitch and youtube yeah you have to join and it's called like the nintendo partnership program okay. and if i remember correctly they take like 50 60 70 it's a lofty amount they take a large percentage of the profit you know, the ad revenue on any of those videos. Oh, and man. I think, you know, it, it's crazy. Well, I, I feel, because it, it's just, it, it, no, exactly. And that, that's the problem is, you know, there are very few people who would sign up for that. So it's like the most passionate people who are just desperate to be able to stream these games have said, all right, fine. But it's unfortunate because, you know, just to hit on it a little well, bit. Well, that's a small I think, box. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think they're desperate, but I, I mean, all right, man. Yeah. Well, no, you would have to be to, yeah. you know, give Nintendo, Hendo, this you know this company who has twelve, thirteen billion dollars in the war chest, seventy, sixty, seventy percent of the ad revenue on your content. Yeah, Especially but if, if you're, you're talking still... about if you're someone like PewDiePie or someone who's highly influential, you can sell them millions of copies of their own game. So it's like as a you know as a Twitch streamer or a YouTuber, <laughs> you have value. And by Nintendo taking that, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Like when the people who make games say they want a percentage of the pie, but when you're talking about Nintendo doing this for everything, most people are going to just take the attitude. Well, I'm going to just not stream your stuff. And again, this is why PC gaming dominates. Oh right. Because PC gaming, you stream whatever you want, whenever you want, and then a lot of the time those streams have made tons of I mean, games like Stardew Valley and FTL. Don't Starve have made a lot of these games millions of sales that wouldn't have happened without people streaming them. And like I said, on the other side of it, I'm not, I have zero problem with the people making those games getting a piece of that. I think they should. I mean, you know, you as the YouTuber or Twitch streamer, you didn't make the game, you're just playing it. So even though you're still providing some form of marketing and advertising, at the end of the day, you know, that some of that still should go to the people who made it and who own it. But I think it's just. Uh, and like everything, it's just about what your denomination of what split is. And I think, you know, Nintendo has gone way too far in terms of like the restrictions and what the, the ad revenue split is. And it's like right now, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I think it's just a situation. It's a combination of them wanting, like you said, to control their brand and how they're presented so that people who see a Nintendo game get the experience they want them to have every time. Well, it's I mean, never that's... a situation where someone can watch someone play the entire story of Zelda on Twitch and never buy the game, never hold the controller and actually get the full experience. So that's wise, because that kind of stuff for certain kinds of games can cheapen the experience. 
happens. Once you've when, you know, I've seen situations where people will go on YouTube, watch someone play the DLC for Mass Effect Three, and say, "Yeah, okay, I see where this is going. This was interesting. I'm just not going to buy." buy it now thanks for no. playing it now i don't have to buy the game and i see that kind of stuff all That's the time because it's common people take you know with the internet people use the internet and youtube twitch streams and everything else to their advantage so if it's like if this can help save me a buck i'll watch you play it great but then on the other side of it the challenge is you know when you're talking about people streaming you know these very original games you also still need that advertising. And, you know, not for every game. I mean, something like Zelda, you know, speaks for itself and can live on its own. But I also think you have to sort of give people the freedom to sort of be able to do with that what they want. And like I said, it's okay to have some restriction or say so in how much and what the ad revenue is. But, and you know, the other part of what I was going to mention is Nintendo also is just, I've heard, you know, something along those lines of that analogy a ton. They're a company who was created in the 1980s who continues to, just try to keep going back to what made them successful originally. And it's like, it's just not going to happen. Twitch streaming, YouTubing, all these things are here to stay. And in a lot of ways, they are now the new mouthpiece for video games. A lot of people aren't going to video game websites anymore. They don't trust news and media. And they said, I'll just go, I'll go direct. I'll watch someone play, you know, the new Skyrim Remastered or Fallout 4 or The Witcher 3, Sonoma, you know, any of these games, you know, right. that is becoming the dominant and common way that people interact with games. And it's has pros and cons. And I think, you know, whether you like it or not, you kind of have to get on board with that. And it's like Nintendo within the Nintendo par- partnership program is kind of doing that. But it's like everything else with Nintendo, it's not enough. It's like, if you're going to be that restrictive, you might as well just bar people from playing it all together. It's like internet and YouTube and streaming all these things, all the things those things encompass and represent. You're kind of nerfing 80% of that within the confines (laughs) of what you're restricting. So it's like I said, the biggest, most influential people just are not going to stream your games. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I don't have much more input on that, man. I mean, that is exactly what they're doing. Like, it's, it's stifling their own market. I mean, I, I understand what they're doing. It's not like it's what they're doing is illogical or irrational, uh, but it, it's not conducive to the market that they're, you know, uh, trying to compete in. Uh, exactly. When, when everybody else is like, yeah, just go ahead and do it, or you know what, just wait until the, you know, I, I don't think Nintendo will ever do a beta, uh, much less an alpha of anything. Uh, but, you know, don't stream the alpha or the beta of this, but once the full game's out, you can do whatever you want with it. Like, that's understandable as well. Uh, but Nintendo yeah. is like, once you buy it, we still technically own it. We, you can't show it on on the internet. That's that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah, right even though we're we're we're, li- we're licensing licensing you to play it, right? But it's still our experience to sort of determine how it's presented, unless it's in, uh, anywhere outside of your TV screen. And even just like what you just mentioned, it just made me laugh in my head because. It's like funny that Nintendo doesn't really support this. They don't really understand it. Whereas on the other two boxes, on the PlayStation and the Xbox, not only do they understand it, they're like, hey, you can stream from the box directly. Right. You don't even have to buy a capture card anymore. Come stream with us. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny that massive juxtaposition of the times we're in where it's like Sony and Microsoft in a death duel competing against each other, you know, trying to match each other tit for tat. Yeah. Whereas Nintendo's over here with a totally different ideology, which like we always talk about has pros and cons. So it's pro because, you know, their consoles and their ideology is very unique and it's always usually for the most part been pretty consistent and then on the other side of it it hurts because it's like as the industry is evolving and updating 
anything, you're not necessarily evolving and updating with it. So that has some good things, but it has a lot more bad. Because like I said, you know, we talk about a ton on the show. There's just a lot people expect from games and from game consoles now. These things are now like, you know, the, the Nintendo, original Nintendo. So they could be able to sell it at places that weren't toy stores. They chose to call it the Nintendo Home Entertainment System. It's like these things are actually home entertainment systems now. <laughs> I can watch NFL games and NBA games and YouTube and Twitch and Bravo, Stars, HBO. I mean, these things now are actually entertainment systems. No. So it's like that's that, what people expect from this thing. <laughs> if you said that at E3 a few years ago, uh, you would have been in big trouble. Yeah. No, again, you know, it's, we, it's we, funny we how want to be your entertainment in home console. But no, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear about the games, which I understand the E3. But I'm just saying the you know uh, the the messaging was not. I'm not. I'm not saying the messaging all those years ago at E3 from Xbox was on point or ideal for a games convention. Um, but their idea of a console, the you know a gaming console being your also your home console to watch Netflix, your oh, no, sports, sure. whatever. To. Yeah, I mean they they knew that it was going there. They just you know. You don't go to a gun show to go talk about anti-gun laws. You know what I mean? That's not. <laughs> you're not going to appeal to that crowd. You know what I mean? You're just. It's just not going to work. Um, and it's maybe a bad analogy with uh, the recent uh, events there, but uh, just the idea of. Yeah. Uh, you don't go somewhere to talk about the opposite of what they want to hear about when you're trying to sell something to somebody. Um, Definitely. Yeah, just not. And again, I- it's just ironic when you think about it, though, right? That it's like all those things that were in that press conference, almost everything is what the industry is now. I right. mean, not even just like a home entertainment console, always online. Right. Isn't Destiny an always online game? Yep. The Division, Division NBA 2K. How many people play Call of Duty for the I mean, I could go player. down the list of so all the things. Exactly. So it's like almost all of the things we clamored that we didn't want and that we were unhappy about and that we weren't going to sign up for we've all essentially signed up for in more ways than i think we even anticipated digital games <laughs> all, i mean all these things are just now a staple i mean all of my friends i have 15 plus friends who play overwatch all 15 15 plus bought it digitally when you mentioned all you knew when you were talking about your nintendo games earlier Right, and you were saying how you have physical copies of those, but not as much your Xbox. Me neither. I mean, I'm looking at my games. My Forza Motorsport Six is digital. My Rise of the Tomb Raider is digital. My Halo Five is digital. <laughs> my Grand Theft Auto Five is digital. I mean, you know, I could go down the list. Yeah. And my Madden is my Madden Sixteen is digital. You know, um, FIFA I got on sale, so that I could, that's one of the like the last like physical games I bought. Mortal Kombat XL. I mean, slash X. That I, I made it a point to get physical, physical for that. But for the most part, most of my games now are digital, and most of the people I know, that's the case. Yeah, Everybody I know, for here. the most part, got two terabyte hard drives, and they've gone digital. So it's like everything Microsoft showed in that press conference is the way that we were going to interact with games in the future. We're pretty much there. No, they've gone backwards in some ways. I mean, like the home entertainment stuff. They're not as of right now going to do the DV, you know, the TV DVR like they promised. But it's like some stuff they've gone back. It's not quite the cord cutting. Like I read a really good Verge article about it. We're not quite the cord cutting console. I think a lot of us wanted. It's not right. quite that. It is like devolving from that stuff some more. But I mean, overall, it is still very much that vision. I mean, even I was thinking. I've been thinking the last couple of days about Xbox anywhere. It, it's, even it's, that, it, it's, it's on the really cusp. The original vision. It's yeah. the original vision, and it's like always online was a little bit too draconian and a little bit too extreme to get there so xbox anywhere is the same way to do that 
is you have a digital license that goes with you everywhere. And they've now found a more convenient, effective, and massively better marketed way to be able to present that to people. And, you know, it's, but it's still basically the same core vision of taking, you know, no longer being tied to disc. Because if I remember correctly, Xbox Anywhere only applies to digital games, which yeah. is why I imagine most publishers are going to get on board with it because it guarantees those people who are buying a Forza Horizon 3 or, you know, any participating game are going to go on, going to make sure their games are a part of the program because it guarantees those people won't be able to sell their games in. You know, every one of those sales even though you're technically giving up a sale because they can use that same license for PC and for Xbox, they also can't resell that game to a GameStop. So that's, you know, the big thing. And I think, you know, again, it just it's, it's funny to think about how everything's kind of come full circle and how the industry is just evolving with Twitch and with YouTube and with, you know, the visions of these consoles. And, you know, like, just to spin it back to Nintendo it's hard to even really labor a judgment on them as of right now, because like we talk about on the show a ton, we still don't even know what the new console is. We don't know. Right. I mean, we've heard rumors. Everyone's heard rumors about, you know, a discless console that doesn't have, you know, that doesn't have the optical drive. There's been, you know, rumors now of cartridges. So there's been so many rumors and all these things out there, but we still don't even know what it is and what it can do. So we don't know if, you know, how much they've adjusted their ideology and what this next box is going to be. Because I think we all kind of understand whatever it is is going to have to be something that's amazing. They can't afford another failure or another average console, another Wii U or GameCube. Something confusing. Exactly. So they have to come out out hitting, and I think they recognize this. And, it's you know, I'm I'm sure we're all eager to see what they're – new console is and in what ways it is is it an extension of their current ideology about games and how we enter i mean again the original rumor that i think is probably seems like the most logical is that it's going to be a handheld device and a console that is going to be like you know a deeper manifestation of what the wii u was supposed to be right. how you can take the tablet sit on the couch and play it free of the console that they're going to expand that and then that's going to be the you know the placement to the 3ds as well so it's like that more than any of the other rumors i've heard i could totally envision jay yeah if you want to get a hold of you on twitter on the internet where would they find you you can find me on twitter and instagram as well as twitch at jreadvic7 how about for you greg for me i am at that greg mcgee m-a-g-e-e because there's only half irish uh, of course, you can contact the podcast for questions, topic ideas, and anything else you want to share with us on Twitter at SOG Discussion. You can email us at the state of gaming discussion at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Twitch under SOG Discussion. You can follow us on Facebook under the same name. Now, feel free to subscribe, follow, and or leave a rating on iTunes and SoundCloud. Now, this week's musician is from Canton, Ohio. Uh, we have I Fight Fail uh, with the song Are You Okay? Uh, you can find them on Twitter at I Fight Fail and on Facebook at I Fight Fail OH for the state of Ohio. Uh, and as always, I hope you all have a great day and we'll see you again next week. Enjoy. Out in the rain, just a heart with no brain. In a shell made of skin and bones, like a robot programmed to make mistakes. Washed out by sound waves, I'm drowning, and it's okay. Beside 
my own verses I relearn my own name And I'm right where or as I can Stuck in the mud Out of breath Out of touch Out of strength Out of love Out of blood And I've had enough Of this endless quest for truth Wasted you The voyages Have wasted you Can you tell Are you up? Are you up? Are you okay?